Hi everyone, it's Jonathan Swan here. The How It Happened team is working on a new season. I think you'll like it. That's coming to this feed later this year. But heading into this Memorial Day weekend, I'm back today with a crazy story. It's about Donald Trump and the United States military. It's a story I realised was too important not to share with you. And it concerns those final fraught weeks between President Trump losing the election and him finally leaving office. Now, here's the show. How do you think executive power works? You might have in your mind deliberations over a long oak table, methodical, carefully presented counsel from trusted advisors, formal signatures from the commander-in-chief, and official statements to the press. This process is especially important when you're thinking about a decision as momentous and consequential as pulling all American troops out of the longest war in Afghanistan. These are not theoretical conversations. Real lives are at stake. The lives of the American troops, who could potentially be harmed by a precipitous withdrawal, and the lives of the Afghan people who've suffered so much over the last 20 years. In the next few months, America is finally bringing our troops home from Afghanistan. I've concluded that it's time to end America's longest war. Joe Biden did that through the official process and leaving plenty of months of warning. But the way that this happened could have been so different. Donald Trump had other plans. When I heard that we almost ended America's longest war because of scribbled notes on a piece of paper written by a 31-year-old former Trump body man, I felt compelled to drop everything and chase this down. And my reporting process led me all the way back to Donald Trump himself. For this story, like all the stories in season one, I spoke to a range of current and former administration officials and sources close to the former president. I did so almost entirely on the basis of deep background, meaning I can report the information but not say where it came from. From Axios, this is how it happened. I'm Jonathan Swan. Today, an off-the-books mission. When I talked to Donald Trump for this story, unsurprisingly, he took credit for Biden's decision, insisting that he had set a train in motion that couldn't be stopped. And to be honest, he's not wrong. But the truth is, when Trump tried to do the same thing Biden did just a few months ago, it was chaotic and ramshackle and ultimately a botched job. Donald Trump was frantically lying and trying to overturn the results of the election. But in at least a small part of his mind, he must have known that he'd lost. And so on this other track, he was also desperately trying to secure his legacy. It's mid-November, and this news breaks. CNN is learning that the U.S. military has been told to plan for a U.S. troop drawdown in Afghanistan and Iraq in the final days of the Trump administration. Trump had ordered that the number of troops in Afghanistan should go down by about half to just 2,500. But Trump didn't make any grand announcement himself. This was out of character. In fact, he barely said a word about the decision. Good afternoon. I'm Chris Miller. 
Instead, he left it to officials like Acting Secretary of Defense Christopher Miller to inform the public that America's longest war was coming closer to an end. By January 15th, 2001, excuse me, I clearly am thinking of where this started in 2001. By January 15th, 2021, our forces, their size in Afghanistan will be 2,500 troops. Our force size in Iraq. Miller didn't take any questions from reporters. Thank you very much. Nor did National Security Advisor Robert O'Brien when he addressed reporters on the White House lawn to underscore the announcement. Thank you very much. Have a great day. Thank you very much. Why won't anyone in this administration take questions? They probably didn't want to take any questions because the story of how they got to this decision isn't pretty. What almost happened in the few days between the election and this announcement is a far crazier and more disturbing story than the public knew at the time. That brings me to the piece of paper I mentioned earlier. So on this piece of paper were four list items, like a grocery list, but these were extremely consequential instructions. Number one, get us out of Afghanistan. Number two, get us out of Iraq and Syria. Number three, complete the withdrawal from Germany. And number four, get us out of Africa. These instructions had come straight from President Trump's mouth, but they'd been written down by a fellow named John McEntee. You've probably never heard of McEntee, but he's an extremely important character in this story. He was one of President Trump's most loyal aides. But he's not the kind of person who'd normally be involved in a major military decision. He's a 31-year-old former college football quarterback who went viral for his football tricks. What's up, this is Johnny McEntee, representing UConn football, trick shot video. He was once body man to President Trump. And then Trump brought him back into government to run the presidential personnel office. In this job, McEntee was hiring and vetting staff across the federal government. So it was, shall we say, kind of unusual that it was McEntee handing this consequential piece of paper to a retired army colonel that most military leaders despised. A man named Douglas McGregor Doug McGregor is a retired U.S. Army colonel, author... He's been going on Fox News for years, ridiculing the armed forces for their diversity policies and their approach towards transgender troops. There's a readiness to uh, accommodate PC demands from policymakers who, frankly, have a cocktail level of familiarity with real war. Like Trump, he was a full-throated advocate for American withdrawal from Afghanistan. The truth is, it doesn't make any difference when we leave... Uh, it's all going to fall apart. But the good news is that once we're out, at least we will no longer be subsidizing the corruption. Trump had wanted to work with McGregor for years. He loved him, loved listening to him on Fox. And here he was, meeting with McEntee. It's November the 9th, and McGregor, he's actually supposed to be the Trump's ambassador to Germany, but that's going nowhere in a hurry. Trump had lost the election. McGregor comes in and he meets with McEntee in the executive office building. This is the big, ugly building across from the White House. 
McEntee takes him into his big spacious office and he closes the door behind them. And he swings his chair around and sits across from McGregor. And he says, will you come into government? The president wants you to be the senior advisor to the acting secretary of defense. McGregor's like, uh, okay, I mean, why does he want that? And, and McEntee says, well, the president thinks you can help extricate us from some of these wars, you know, in Afghanistan and Iraq and other places. McEntee knows full well the significance of bringing Douglas McGregor into the process. If I was to tell you that Douglas McGregor is detested by the leadership of the Pentagon, I would be grossly understating the matter. Just the mere mention of his name among the people running the US military is enough to draw the blood out of their face. So the fact that he was involved in this process was the Trumpian equivalent of rolling a hand grenade into the Pentagon. McEntee hands McGregor this piece of paper with these explosive instructions. McGregor looks at this list that McEntee hands him, and even he thinks there's no way all of this can get done in mere weeks. So McEntee replies, look, do as much as you can. McGregor says he doesn't think that the acting Secretary of Defence, Christopher Miller, has the authority to order the full withdrawal of American troops from Afghanistan before the end of Trump's presidency. McGregor tells McEntee that this one is going to need an order from the president himself. We'll be right back. We're back. Colonel Douglas McGregor had been around the block, and he knew there was no way in hell this was going to happen without that piece of paper becoming a formal order from the president. The trouble was, McEntee's team, remember, these are people who are, many of them in their 20s, working for the first time in government, in the presidential personnel office. They had no idea how to draft an order to withdraw American troops from Afghanistan. So McGregor tells one of McEntee's subordinates, he's got no idea how to do this order, and McGregor says, listen, go to a filing cabinet, pull out an old presidential decision memorandum, and basically copy the wording. Use this as a template. It's almost like, you know, you go into Microsoft Word and you've got a skeleton for a resume. You know, here's the, the template to fill it out. So this is literally what happens. A fairly low-level aide in the presidential personnel office is cutting and pasting and writing in the words to get all American troops out of Afghanistan by January 15th. And I should tell you, you know, that list that McEntee had handwritten, that's not what ended up in this final order. The final order was streamlined. It was get out of Somalia by December 31st. And then the big one, the big explosive one, which was all troops out of Afghanistan by January 15th. You might notice that they left out Germany. And I should just point out, if Trump had tried to withdraw all American troops from Germany before the end of his presidency, that would have upended the post-World War II world order. And it would have shaken to its very core, if not nullified, America's involvement in NATO. And so almost immediately, this official memo ends up on President Trump's desk, where he signs it. At this point, the acting Secretary of Defense, Christopher Miller, 
the man who's ultimately going to have to justify and explain this decision, he has no idea it's coming. In fact, he's on his third day in the job. He's still trying to figure out where the freaking restrooms are in the Pentagon. And a courier is showing up at his office with this memo, this extraordinary memo. So the courier hands this memo to Miller and he reads it and he just thinks to himself, what the fuck is this? In a normally functioning White House, a piece of paper like this would have been vetted by innumerable people. It would have gone through the White House Counsel's Office, would have been vetted by the top levels of the Pentagon, including the Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. The National Security Council would have weighed in. The State Department would have had a seat at the table. There would have been numerous meetings in the Situation Room in which, in a highly classified setting, the President and his top aides would debate the pros and cons of this decision, weighing the risk of a terrorist vacuum emerging in the region against the physical, financial and psychological costs of having a near-permanent American presence in Afghanistan. None of those things happened. And the reason none of these people were brought into the loop is because Donald Trump was desperate. He was desperate to fulfill this promise that he'd made to his voters to get America out of Afghanistan, and he'd run out of time. Here he was, staring at the imminent likelihood of him leaving office with American troops still in Afghanistan. The memo's arrival set off a mad dash effort by Christopher Miller and many of Trump's other top officials to kill this order. But they were also killing off an instinct that Trump had had since long before he ran for president. Trump had wanted to get out of Afghanistan for years. He actually started tweeting about this idea back in 2011 when he was a reality TV celebrity and, you know, germinating the idea of running for president. But when he actually became president and had the power to pull America out of Afghanistan, Trump decided to appoint generals, people in charge of the military, people as his national security advisor, who fundamentally disagreed with his idea about Afghanistan. And early on, 2017, when Trump really had a chance to get America out, he allowed himself to be talked out of his instincts by those generals. My original instinct was to pull out. And historically, I like following my instincts. But all my life, I've heard that decisions are much different when you sit behind the desk in the Oval Office. This is Trump at a military base in Florida, announcing reluctantly in the summer of 2017 that not only would he not be getting America out of Afghanistan, but he'd actually be adding additional troops. The consequences of a rapid exit are both predictable and unacceptable. Trump's team had persuaded him to give that speech, but he never changed his mind. And it bothered him, it ate away at him through his presidency that he'd allowed himself to be talked out of his instincts. He grew to resent the generals. He was boiling up with frustration. And this frustration erupted out of Trump at different moments. He still wanted to withdraw all troops from Afghanistan, but he simply didn't give the order. 
And so he just tweeted and ranted and railed at the Pentagon. He tweeted things out like, we're getting out of Syria, you know, and, and every time he did this, his generals and his senior officials would talk him back off the ledge. This was a pattern that continually happened throughout his presidency. And finally, after all these years, after he'd lost the election in November 2020, these instincts had finally become a real presidential order. That's what caught the Pentagon off guard. They weren't dealing with a tweet. They were dealing with a signed order from the President of the United States, an order that they considered dangerous to American troops and to America's position in the region. And so the job for those running the Pentagon and some officials close to Trump was to stop this. They had to appeal to his psychology. So in the 48 hours after Trump signs this order, he meets with his top national security officials. General Mark Milley, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, Acting Secretary of Defense Christopher Miller, National Security Advisor Robert O'Brien. They're all in the room with Donald Trump, trying to persuade him to keep 2,500 troops in the country. They talked about Saigon in 1975 and the utter humiliation of the American withdrawal from the Vietnam War. The iconic images of people being evacuated from the rooftops of buildings by helicopters. These scenes of American humiliation. And the other thing they talked about were the scenes of chaos that they said would happen in Afghanistan under his watch. That Kabul, the capital, could fall, and fire and chaos and looting and rioting and the possibility of terrorist attacks emerging. Those things got through to him. But when I talked to President Trump, there was something else that had lodged in his mind. He said to me, when I was asking him about his decision here, he was thinking about all of this expensive American equipment that we had, military equipment in Afghanistan, and he didn't want the Taliban to get it. That was a big factor in his decision making. And look, his team, they knew who they were dealing with. They knew that, you know, there was no point making human rights arguments to him or saying, you know, what about the poor women of Afghanistan? Any of these arguments that might have persuaded a president like George W. Bush or Barack Obama, they knew they were dealing with a transactional president. And so their arguments were based on Trump's own psychology. And they worked. The Afghanistan decision was one of the big items that Donald Trump had promised his voters that he felt he hadn't succeeded in delivering. I'm now the fourth United States president to preside over American troop presence in Afghanistan. Trump wanted so badly for this to be his legacy, to be the commander in chief, to stand up before the American people and say that he was the one who fully brought America home from these forever wars. I will not pass this responsibility onto a fifth. But that wouldn't be his legacy. We'll not conduct a hasty rush to the exit. We'll do it, we'll do it responsibly, deliberately and safely. It would be Joe Biden's. It's time to end the forever war. 
Thank you all for listening. May God protect our troops. May God bless all those families who lost someone in this endeavor. You can read the full story I reported with Zach Basu in our series Off the Rails on Axios.com. And you can get in touch at podcasts at Axios.com. How It Happened is the show for instant histories. It's where you'll hear some of Axios' best reporting and stories. Right now, the team is working on something very different than Trump world. It's the race to send regular people like you and me into space. Axios's space reporter Miriam Kramer will be telling that story. She's flown on a zero-g parabolic flight, was among the first to see photos of Pluto, and even held meteorites in her hand. You'll be in wonderful hands. Look for that story in the coming months. How It Happened is produced by Amy Padula and Naomi Shaven. Dan Bobkoff is our executive producer. Mixing by Alex Sugiura. Theme music by Michael Hampf. Margaret Talev is managing editor of politics. Sarah Kahulani Gu is Axios' executive editor. Special thanks to Nuria Marquez Martinez, Nyla Boudou, Alexandra Boti, and Jimmy Shelton. And to Axios co founders, Mike Allen, Jim Vanderhei, and Roy Schwartz. I'm Jonathan Swan. Thanks so much for listening.